there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded Maskell of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, there shall, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with the eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 32, ESV. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Grant Baker, and for the first time, introducing three guests, Brian and Justin. How are you guys? Three guests. Pretty good. What's up? Three guys talking. Three guys talking. Oh, that's a different podcast. (laughs) Highly recommended, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, GT. So th- All right. Three oh, hosts. no, that's three guys theologizing. Oh, pardon me. That's mm. fine. Anyway, how are you guys doing? Like, it's been a while. I know we took a break. We're kicking off season three. Yeah. What you guys been up to? Anything fun, exciting, uh, adventurous? I will say, I will start out because I'm just so excited about this. Okay. I had the best uh, onion rings tonight. Mm-hmm. And also my brother-in-law's... Um, he makes uh, he, he has a food truck up in Kansas City, and he sent us home last time we were up there was some some uh, of his ribs. Oh my goodness, mm. ribs plus those onion rings were so fantastic. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's some that's some pretty yeah. tasty waffle fries. Oh oh, like with maybe some Chick Fil A sauce on them. No, I we have this cheese sauce that uh, that's like at some. 
of the restaurants, not a, not every one of them. And uh, you get the breakfast uh-huh. salsa and you mix it in with the cheese sauce and, uh, and it's pretty good. Mm. But you know what? I don't really like the Chick-fil-A sauce. I know. I know, right? What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I'm a Polynesian guy. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty good too. Yeah. I like all the sauces. If I'm going to Chick-fil-A, it's a good day. Let's just put it that way. If I'm going to Chick-fil-A, it's work. <laughs> it's a work day. It's a oh, work day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, goodness. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of food, I, I decided to start a calorie diet this week, um, which has not been the funnest thing. It's worked in the past, uh, but my wife, you know, I mentioned uh, last time that she's pregnant, so I've been expanding as well. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I uh, tried to uh, kind of go the other direction. So um, needless to say, I'm, I'm just hungry, but, but your ribs <laughs> and onion rings sound really good. I yeah. uh, was the one in our relationship who gained all all the uh, baby pre-pregnancy cravings, weight, <laughs> that sort of thing, uh, when yeah. when uh, my wife had our, our children. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> there was actually one time, that's how we knew that we were pregnant. We were working, uh, we did like the this little welcome tent at our church, and mm-hmm. I just like all of a sudden just had to have a McDonald's burger and like a Coke from their McDonald's machine. And I was just like, mm. I could not get it out of my head. I was like, Lindsay, I just really could go for a McDonald's burger right now and a Coke. <laughs> and we, uh, yeah, ended up being pregnant with our second at that point. So <laughs> it was that's, hilarious. That's oh, nice. <laughs> I, I managed not to gain any weight with our sixth pregnancy. So Oh, well, it took five, five to get it right. Yeah, it took five <laughs> to get it right. Oddly enough, he was their only boy. So. Yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, Justin and I had a fun conversation the other day where we, where I was trying to get him to go to our favorite bakery so I could eat vicariously mm. through him. Yes. But, yeah, I, I need to do that. Yeah. I was following along <laughs> hungrily, not knowing where any of this was, but I just heard the word bakery, and I was like, it must be good. It, mm. Well, it is a bakery. Well, yeah, I am a baker. You know, I keep a sourdough uh. starter. I... Um, Enjoy baking whenever I get the chance. All right. <laughs> anyway, now that we're all very hungry, let's uh, let's <laughs> well, get into, into the follow up. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I had dinner with the Seahorns tonight. By the way, oh, so. nice. Yeah. So anyway, uh, longtime listener Chris Seahorn and yeah. Um, hello, welcome Seahorns. Hello. So uh, follow up first point. Um, I, I made a joke on our last episode where I said that a mighty fortress was written in 1517. We all know that mighty fortress was not written in 1517. That was the actual beginning of the the reformation. It didn't come until later. It was a joke. It was funny. You all laughed and I don't think anyone called me out on it, but I immediately was like, it wasn't written in 1517. So I, <laughs> I figured out at least acknowledge that I knew. Um, also, I, I said, uh, we were talking about music that we liked, and I said that I, I like the Psalms that talked about Jesus. And so I wanted to uh, clarify that as well. What I meant to say was that I, I like the Psalm paraphrases that specifically bring in the gospel message and talk about Jesus and how he fulfills the prophecy in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I said. And as I was listening through the uh, through the uh, recording, I was like, oh, that's not what I meant. So I just wanted to <laughs> yeah. 
I just want to clarify. I don't. I don't think that that confused anyone either. But again, I was like, eh, that's not what I meant. So I had some follow up that I forgot to tell you guys about in the pre pre show before we start the cameras mm. rolling. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just also wanted to uh, call out and welcome Spencer Parsons to our listenership. Uh, he just yeah. uh, signed on a little bit ago, and uh, great. He, he's been passing along some music, I guess. Uh, he works um, primarily as like a landscaper, but in his spare time, he's putting together uh, hymns similar to what you all are doing. And um, man, it's really cool. Uh, really great to have uh, you listening to do- and really appreciate uh, all the awesome suggestions that you've been putting in the in the Slack and everything. So keep them coming. Yeah. And maybe one day I'll stop social media distancing and actually get back to the Slack channel. Well, that's okay. We'll we'll help you out. Yeah, okay. we'll we'll cut you some some slack. Oh, I had to do it. Had to do it. I'm so glad but, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, you know, you may have to cut me some slack on on some puns tonight. But um, so my follow up would be, you know, a couple of fools that you guys may know got together uh, and put. Uh, a podcast together for April the 1st, which of course is April Fools. And the fools were myself and Brian. Yep. And uh, we recorded an episode of If Songs Could Preach. But uh, if you haven't listened, I don't want to spoil it too much for you. Um, but just keep in mind that it came out on April Fools. And the, the title of the episode was Raise a Hallelujah. So that should tell you a little bit about what that probably was about. But I will say there was no sermon. There was just a motivational speech. So <laughs> yep. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think uh, during the last episode, you pondered uh, what would happen if songs can't preach. And right. I, I think we found out. So we have an answer. Yes. Uh, so head on over yeah. to the Sound of Worship podcast for sure. Check and it out. It's probably the longest episode in their, in their repertoire. I, it actually like. was. Yeah, I, I checked. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was the longest one. Well, but, yeah. you had the motivational speech, and then you guys talked about it for a little bit, which was good. We did. You, know, you don't want right. somebody coming along thinking like, wait a minute, what is this? <laughs> what? So it was good that you had right. the explanation, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. That would have been awkward without that, <laughs> it that been. explanation. <laughs> it was yeah. a good show. So, so who it. knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll make it an annual tradition. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, you guys have plenty of material to choose from. That is mm-hmm. that is true, because oh, yeah. uh, while there might be some good songs out there that that preach good sermons, there's quite a few out there that are more or less departures. Mm. I was waiting for that. Yeah, I know. I know you were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, as all of my great segues are, we're going to go into the icebreaker, and uh, for this week for icebreaker, I've got a, a couple. Kind of an icebreaker part A and an icebreaker icebreaker part B, and uh, they will both kind of add together as a foundation for our main topic. But um, for the part A, I, I wanted to talk about an album that came out uh, a month or so ago uh, called Departures by John Foreman. Um, this was a project that he did. Uh, he wrote a lot of it, I think, during 2020. Uh, a lot of it was about 2020 and just his 
personal losses. Uh, don't think he lost anyone to COVID, but just reading between the lines, I do think that he lost someone very close to him. Um, and I think it was due to cancer, but it was, it's, he wasn't very explicit about it. Um, but the album was very much an album about grief. Uh, I would classify this album as a type 2.5 album. Uh, many of the songs are solidly type three, uh, but there are some type two songs and at least one that I would classify as a personal type one lament, though it is not meant for congregational worship. It was, it's more or less a conversation between him and Jesus. Uh, title is called Jesus. I have my doubts. And um, we will be focusing on that song in the main topic. So I'm not going to get too, uh, I'm not going to dive too fully into it during the icebreaker. Um, it is important to consider the entire context of the album to fully understand that particular song, which is why I wanted to go ahead and do a review of the album. Um, it is a concept album about 2020 and how difficult that year was for John personally. And every song in the album plays a particular part within the context of the narrative of the album. Um, I don't have time to talk about each song, but I do want to talk uh, talk briefly about some of the really important songs on the album. Uh, I we were also going to link a li- a uh, a Spotify playlist in our show notes that John himself created, where he gives a. Uh, kind of gives an introduction to each song a little a little sneak peek into the behind the scenes commentary before each song uh i do want to warn you he makes pretty disappointing theological comment before the song side by side where he refers to god as a she and so did want to warn you i not completely surprised i don't look to john foreman as the as a harbinger of good theology but He's never spouted outright blatant damnable heresy before, and, and I wouldn't consider this that either, but it is the most theologically heterodoxical thing I've heard him say. Um, but that aside, the album begins with a very dramatic song, probably the most dramatic song that I've ever heard him release under any project. It's called uh, The Ocean Beyond the Sea. Uh, it's very like theatrical and cinematic. Uh, it talks about the futility of trying to achieve salvation on your own. Uh, it's very poetic, and it doesn't specifically talk about Jesus, sin, or anything like that. So I would call this a type three song. Uh, one very important phrase that he uses in the first verse uh, is he says, an elixir for all who grieve. Um, and this particular elixir, it's found in the ocean beyond the sea and you can't quite get to it, uh, with your own, uh, with your own trying. And, and this is kind of an, an analogy of salvation. Um, and while it doesn't offer near enough, uh, specificity to accurately conclude that the elixir is the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sins within the context of the album. Um, the song 
uh, sorry, within the context of the album, the song does set the stage of dealing with grief specifically. Uh, and grief is something that cannot be fully processed without divine help. The final song on the album is called Last Words. Uh, and while I would consider John to be a fairly private person. It's, it's hard to find details about his personal life aside from the name of his wife and, and child. And uh, if you're doing a Google search, I do believe that this song is a sequel to the early 2019 song, Joy Invincible from a Switchfoot's album, Native Tongue. Uh, Joy Invincible is about processing a difficult medical diagnosis while Last Words is about processing the death of someone close. From the lines of the song, uh, this individual died of cancer. And from the raw emotion of both of these two songs, um, the Joy Invincible as well as Last Words, uh, I, I do believe that this is probably an actual loss and not a metaphorical or imaginative loss. I, I do believe that this was a real loss. Uh, he talks about having lost someone in the commentary, but he literally just uses that word. He says, I'm not the only one who lost someone in 2020. And so um, I do believe that this is a song about his personal loss. Most of the songs on the album deal with grief in some way or another. Each song has at least one line uh, that is completely turned on its head when it's viewed through the lens of losing someone close to you. Uh, but it's especially true in the first uh, five tracks. Uh, in And there's 12 tracks on the album. So the first five tracks really kind of deal with that grief. And then track six is where we land on the song, Jesus, I Have My Doubts. Um, as I said, as I mentioned, we're going to go over the song line by line in the main topic. But I, I did want to say that this is a it's a very raw lament about not understanding God's plan. Um, and I would say the song reads a lot like Psalm 88 in that there's very little hope in the verbatim context of the song. Uh, there are some important lines that help us to understand that the wound is where the light shines through, um, which, by the way, is is a, an album title of Switchfoot. And so that's why I threw that in there. Um, that's a deep cut right there. Oh, it is. It's a deep excellent cut. Excellent work. Uh, so uh, one very important piece of context to help process the, the song Jesus Have My Doubts is track seven. So the one that comes immediately after, uh, it is called, um, it's called Thanks Be to God. And the refrain that's repeated over and over again, it says, thanks be to God who delivers me. Thanks be to God who delivers me. Christ, Christ alone, come and set me free. Thanks be to God who delivers me. And uh, this is, it's a very beautiful song that helps us understand uh, that it is in Christ alone that we can process our grief and still make it out in one piece. And, uh, and so track six and seven, that's the, that's the exact middle of the album. So the album begins laying the context of grief. It ends with a very raw story about losing someone right in the middle. We have this questioning about God and his control and his goodness um, followed immediately by thanks be to God who delivers me. And uh, 
in all in all, I just, I, I would love this album. It's John's third solo project. Um, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I highly recommend, uh, listen to it, listen to that playlist with the context, listen to each song. Um, it's just a beautiful album. Um, unless you guys have anything else to say, I'll move on to part B. No, it's, uh, Really cool. Like I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to uh, listening to that a little bit more. And I, I know I've heard a couple of songs off of it, but I haven't necessarily listened to the whole thing straight through. So um, yeah. excited to do that. So um, something happier now, right? I mean, now that you got us <laughs> yeah, all kind just, of in a little place, slightly slightly happier. Part mm. B. We're going to go, uh, this is a quick overview of Dustin Kinsrew's deconstruction oh, story. Oh, come on. So, so the- uh, Slightly the, happier? Slightly happier. So Dustin Kinsrew was one of the worship leaders at Mars Hill Church. And uh, he is, he no longer believes Orthodox theology. And uh, so there's a- Join the crowd. I mean, join the crowd. I just read about um, somebody else <laughs> just yes. today. Just today. Yeah. It's like one mm-hmm. after another. And he's Jeremy, or, sorry. Uh, Dustin's been, he's been on kind of a downward spiral for a while now. Um, there is a, an article that I read on uh, Jeremy Howard.net. We'll put this link in there as well, where uh, it's, it's really uh, this guy, Jeremy Howard. I don't know anything about him other than he wrote this one article and uh, it really documents the, the, uh, the path that Dustin has gone. He, he explains a lot of it. He pulls from a lot of his uh, Twitter feed and explains what's going on. Um, it's, I, I thought it was very useful. Um, and uh, so we've, we've talked a lot about Dustin Kendrew on this show, and I've been wanting to do, uh, I've been wanting to share this story. I've been wanting to review this song that he wrote as well. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, he was one of the worship leaders at Mars Hill in Seattle, and he was the front man for a band called The Modern Post, which to this day still has some of the best, most solid um theology in worship music that I've heard. It's, it's just, it is fantastic stuff. Um, but he's also the front man for the secular band thrice. So thrice, I would say is singing, uh, type four music. Um, though you could argue that what he was writing while at Mars Hill was type three and a half right now, it's solidly type four. Uh, Mars Hill, led by Pastor, or then Pastor Mark Driscoll, uh, was a major leader in the Young Restless and Reform movement for many years. Their music, in a lot of ways, had the potential to compete with the Big Four, um, Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, and Passion. However, like with all things in life, sin ruined everything. Mark was caught stealing money from the church and buying many thousands of copies of his own book. So it hit the bestsellers list. His hope was to start selling even more once it was trending and put all the money back. Once the royalties started pouring in, he was caught and ultimately he was asked to resign. And that's when this uh, very pesky little church bylaw kicked in. 
From the start, Mark had built the church around himself and had a bylaw included that would force the church to shut down and disband in the event that he died. Uh, The leaders of the church understood the spirit of the law was to disband in the event that uh, Mark was to ever not be the pastor of the church. But uh, I'm speculating that he never saw another situation in which he would possibly be not the pastor uh, unless he was dead. So uh, I'm guessing that to avoid legal battles, the church uh, decided to just shut its doors. Um, I remember when this happened, it was a major event. Um, To speculate a bit more, uh, I find that it would be very easy uh, to believe that following a pastor so closely and then finding out that his words didn't uh, coincide with his actions, I I would find that to be very difficult to continue believing his words, even the truth of his words. Um. It's without question that Mark built his church around himself, all while saying he was building it around Jesus. I do want to be careful and say, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of bad fruit in Mark Driscoll since, uh, since then, but I don't want to say that he is a false teacher, that he's propagating heresy, or even that he's not re- regenerate, uh, though all of those things might be true. I, I, I don't want to take this point to say that. I do want to say that he sinned big time, that he was caught, and ultimately that he didn't really repent of that sin uh, because he is still in public ministry. Um, but kind of to focus back on Dustin, uh, since leaving the crater of Mars Hill, Dustin Kendrew has given up on many of the doctrines that Mark Driscoll taught him. Uh, namely the inerrancy, the infallibility, and the authority of Scripture. Uh, Dustin now believes that the Bible is a list of stories written by flawed men that depict their ideas about God, uh, given their individual limitations of scope. He believes that the only absolute in this world is change, and that he believes that God is not immutable, that he believes... uh, and that he believes that God changes his mind quite often. Uh, he no longer believes in the substitutionary atonement and uh, that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Um, he believes that the cross was cosmic child abuse and that God is essentially not an all-powerful, all-good deity. He says that he still reads the Bible and that he finds it much more enjoyable knowing that his life doesn't depend on it. I hope and I pray that Dustin sees the error in his ways and comes back to God. Uh, and it's, it is really, really just a shame. Yeah. Very sad. Um, for sure. Anytime anyone walks away from the faith and, uh, especially somebody who has written so many songs that, uh, definitely are meaningful to a lot of people. And, uh, some of which are, you know, did contain some pretty decent theology, uh, though um, all that is kind of cast into <laughs> kind of it makes you look at everything differently, doesn't it? When when yeah. this kind of thing happens. And uh, if you remember on our last episode, I went over our questionnaire, mm-hmm. and I actually added in a question simply because of Dustin Kensrue. I'd say the Dustin Kensrue rule. The Dustin Kendrew rule, which is 
songs written from within the covenant uh, are still viable. So when Modern Post was still putting out music, they were within the covenant. They were in a church that was teaching proper doctrine. Uh, whether or not Mark Driscoll believed that proper doctrine, I have no idea. I, I really don't. But he was teaching proper doctrine at the time. So Dustin was within the covenant, receiving the covenant blessings, writing music fueled by the covenant. And um, and so I still believe that all of that music is viable, despite the fact that Dustin Kinger himself is likely not regenerate. Well, yeah, that's uh, something that we can never know uh, fully. But um, yeah, it does bring into question, yeah, can you sing those? And uh, I don't know, for a lot of people, I bet it it, it is the other, the other way around too. Like, uh, well, you know, maybe, you know, not everything about Mars Hill was all that great. Um, a lot of it wasn't, um, yeah. obviously, but uh, there were some, uh, some, some things that came out of there that were, um, we're, we're okay anyway, uh, at least from my understanding. Yeah, I, I want to say Ghost Ship, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. they may yeah. have came from Mars Hill as well. Um, yeah. So I haven't heard of any deconstruction stories from them. Uh, hopefully they don't, but uh, just lyrics alone and just not really seeing any any major problems come up that I've noticed for them is encouraging. Um, it's a shame that Dustin didn't go that route, but uh, yeah, made some great points there, Brian, as well. Uh, it's it's just so sad to see that. Yeah, and uh, just for those playing at home, um, some of the other bands that came from Mars Hill, uh, Citizens and Saints, um, King's Kaleidoscope, which really the only thing I know about King's Kaleidoscope is that they released a song with the F word in it. Um, mm-hmm. They did? But it was, yeah, it's called like My Prayer. So don't go listen to that one. Um, right. I forgot about that. Uh, the Sing Team uh, was from there. Uh, we really like their one yeah. uh, song anyway. Uh, the song's 42. I I think Bifrost Arts originated there um, just because I've seen them. Like they were, there was an album that was just bands from Mars Hill and Bifrost Arts was on that album. So I, that's my assumption. Um, and... See, I think there's some other ones, oh. but yeah, Ghost Ship. Um, Ghost Ship is is definitely one of those. But yeah, that's right. I'm remembering King's Kaleidoscope now as I look them up, and Page CXVI is on there too uh, as a related artist. And which yeah, reminds I mean, me that Brad Bayenhoff had, um, or oh shoot, is it Bayenhoff? I think it's Bayenhoff. <laughs> We yeah, I remember I used to pronounce it wrong, and then I can't remember if I'm doing it correctly or not. Um, it, it's 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 Brad Bonhoff. Yeah, just, just go with that. Brad, Brad, you know Brad. Brad, hey Brad. Um, and he had a lot <laughs> of really great uh, thoughts to share on this, but like uh, w- one of which was around like page CXVI that hasn't really denounced a faith, but they've modified the hymns. Uh, he says. But mm-hmm. they've modified hymns in recent recordings to show that they're not actually orthodox, and so um, yeah, that will all come into, I think the the Ken's rule, as we're now going to yeah. call it, because I just decided. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Ken's rule. Well, and and I'll, and I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. The, the Ken's rule, which we can call it that. The Ken's rule. <laughs> 
is <laughs> it's set in place to protect us from falling into cancel culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. We don't need to just cancel everything uh, just because someone said something wrong. We can still use our judgment. We can still use our discernment. If something was written within the covenant and it and it mirrors the covenant, we don't need to cancel it. So that's that's the point of the Kins rule. Well, very cool. Yeah, um, if you are interested in, in that very distinctive uh, period of the American church, uh, the podcast Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed, is a fantastic one that I've begun listening to fairly recently, ever since they were on PresbyCast, uh, and actually had a really great um, episode on there that I would you know, very much encourage you to go yeah. listen to. But they're kind of like deconstructing postmodern uh, or deconstructing the YRR movement, uh, of which yeah. Mars Hill was like one of the driving forces yeah. um, of that. So one of the things uh, that I wanted to clarify a little bit is Dustin Kenzaru now kind of identifies with the thing called process theology. Uh, however, either of you two heard of that? Not before, before reading that, that article. Yeah, not before yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't really either. Um, well, I think I'd heard the term, but I couldn't really remember. Uh, but it it actually originated back in 1929-ish. Uh, and this guy, oh, what's his name? Which I should have written this down, Whitehead, uh, kind of wrote this, uh, wrote about this. And it, basically, it comes from the idea that everything, including God, has kind of a um, a two poles, right? Like a, a pole of th- that of what they're becoming and a pole of what they are now. So it actually, I mean, goes back to uh, you know more ancient roots than that, like uh, Greek philosophy type stuff, like where um, you have um, the. Uh, you know, who you're becoming, uh, are things always in a state of change or are they, uh, can you never step in the same river twice, Pocahontas? You know, that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) Things are always in a state of becoming. Um, And it's really built around that kind of idea. It's a concept of God and it rejects his immutability and instead maintains that God changes and interacts with humanity. Um, It would also say that God suffers. Um, that God suffers alongside humanity. Uh, Adherents claim that it makes better sense of the God of the Bible, yet they end up denying many of the teachings of it. In process theology, there is no omnipotent God, no immutable God. Um, John uh, Feinberg said in uh, in an article that we'll link to in the show, the process God is finite, mutable, less than omnipotent, and via his physical pole, suffers alongside of his creatures. This is not thought to be a defect, but rather an asset, as it allows God to identify with his creatures and experience what happens to them as it happens. Uh, In other words, a God of man's own making. Um, I should have said end quote in there, in the middle of there, but um, that's basically what process theology is. This is a a theology that looks to construct a God that gets rid of kind of the, the negative 
emotions that some people attach to the true Christian God and instead subs them out for something that's a little bit more palatable. Uh, So they want a God that maybe suffers alongside of them. Well, that's fine. And do they... What they give up, of course, is a God who can um, can uh, actually answer prayer, even. It, it's funny, because the more I got into this, I was like, this sounds a lot like open theology. And I, I went and I actually Googled it and found this open theologist mm-hmm. person who was like, look, I'm not one of those process theology guys. In fact, we have very little in common. Don't associate me with them. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? They both agree that the future is open and can be changed and that, you know, God doesn't really have any, have, have a good idea of what's coming up next, uh, which is unfortunate and uh, against any, anything I would believe. But in open theology, they actually believe that, you know, God answers prayer. Sorry, Justin, I cut you off there. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's it. It's just ironic because that, that's what I was thinking of. Um, and I'd heard Dr. White mm-hmm. on the Divine Line talk about mm-hmm. that recently, but it really does seem similar, like, uh, you know, to, to like you're saying, open theology. Um, but it's, yeah, it's odd that you found someone <laughs> that says, no, no, we're nothing alike. Yeah. Um, very interesting. It was wild. I mean, he had like six points, and one of those was like, no, God answers prayer, whereas process theology denies that. Uh, I don't understand why that is such a comfort and why it's seen as uh, Dr. Feinberg identifies as a uh, an asset even to these these mm-hmm. folks. To be clear, Feinberg is is refuting uh, process yeah. theology, and I would hope that I'd hope that Crossway Books wouldn't publish a process theologian. Oh yeah, you saw that. Yeah, no one like him. I actually do have that book. Um, I have not read all of it. I've read pieces and parts of it. He is a professor, just to be clear. He's a professor over at TED's, uh, the um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is in um, Illinois. It's uh, f- associated with the E-Free Church. Uh, so okay. that's actually uh, the church that we belong to back in Omaha, Nebraska, when we lived up there, um, that, that particular denomination. Um, so... I don't know a lot about Dr. Feinberg, but uh, I mean, like he had some good points and I will put a link to his article. It's on the Gospel Coalition. So, I mean, this may be the last time we ever link to the Gospel Coalition. (laughs) Who knows? But there it is. And we also will put a, you know, his book out there too, if you want to go read it. See, the problem is there's not a lot of people writing about process theology academically anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, it's then, so far out there. Oh yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, it just, you know, it makes God out to be like, he's not in control mm-hmm. at all, <laughs> which, uh, should make, you know, anybody feel very uneasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful God is, is all powerful and, and omnipotent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, very odd. It's like, who's driving this yeah. thing? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and unfortunately, Absolutely. I fear that it's the, uh, it, it's the human. And that's really what it is because mm-hmm. they've made a God out of their own likeness. And uh, that doesn't end well ever. But, no, uh, no. you yeah, know, just looking around on, on the, uh, on the Twitters 
he's just finished up the writing for a new album uh, that they're going to be releasing uh, with um, his band Thrice. So uh, we'll see. He says that it will very much appeal to his process party friends. Uh, process party mm. is a hashtag on Twitter, and they have what are known as process parties, and I don't really know what they are, but I think it's where they <laughs> get around and want to sound deep. You know, they got to have that, the feels of <laughs> what, what yeah. it was like being a Christian, you know, at one point. Let's go ahead and, uh, and segue into our, our main topic. Uh, we are going to do another song versus song. I know it's been so long since we did one of these, a uh, whole two episodes ago, but um, <laughs> hmm. Uh, we are going to talk about the the song called "The Gray" by Thrice, nice. uh, written by Dustin Kensrue, and the song "Jesus, I Have My Doubts" by John Foreman. All right. So, uh, Grant, if you don't mind, uh, just reading through the lyrics to the song "The Gray," mm-hmm. and for any one of us, if there's any line in particular that you want to uh, jump in there and, and kind of commentate on, uh, feel free. Yeah, awesome. Okay, um, this is The Gray by Thrice, which is uh, um, Mr. Process Theology himself here talking. So it says, There was a time when I tried to hold the ocean in my fists, when I mistook the language for the light. There was a tightness that gripped my, sh- my soul and bubbled at my wrists and choked me within inches of my life. But now I'm letting go, and I can finally breathe, I can finally breathe. And my hands are open, reaching out. I'm learning how to live with doubt. I'm learning how to lean into the gray, because I've had enough of black and white. I'll find another way, and I'll, I will lean into the gray, I'll lean into the gray. There was a time when I tried to bind and bottle up the sea. I tried to hide my heart inside my head. There was a maze of these vicious lines that cut through everything. I pulled against them till my body bled. The end. The end. And then it goes back to the pre-chorus and the chorus. And the the bridge is just a rehashing of the, of the last part of the chorus. But um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. First, (laughs) first major observation. This is from the first person perspective. And he's talking about, his actions. The whole song is about his actions. There was a time when I tried to hold the ocean in my fists when mm-hmm. I mistook the language for the light. Uh, he's uh, when you know the story behind it, he's clearly the ocean is Christianity and he, and or God himself. And he's trying to hold the ocean in his fists. Clearly the ocean can't fit into his fists. And even if it could, it's water and it will just pour out. Um, and so there's that, that very clear image of, you know, he's trying to earn something. He's trying to, to, he's trying to do the work. And as you know, an, an Orthodox Christian, I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, clearly you misunderstood Christianity. It's not about trying to, to bind and bottle up the sea. It's about, uh, mm-hmm. it's about, you know, faith. It's about, you know, trusting in God's promises and, 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 uh, believing that what he said he will do, he will do. Um, and this song is just, first of all, it is so beautifully written 
in the pre-chorus, there is this this uh, element of prosody where he's, and now I'm letting go, and I can finally breathe. I can finally breathe, and it's you know you. He's saying that letting go and being able to breathe is this giving up on Christianity. And you can see how much he's just, his mind is messed up. Mm-hmm. How, uh, how this giving up on, on God, he can finally breathe. But at the same time, if God was just a religion to him, if he's just trying to like obey the, the law without the grace, it's, it's debilitating. You can't, you can't keep the law without grace. And so he clearly never had the grace. He was just trying to, to obey the law on his own. And, and it's just, it's devastating. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what stood out to me too, that, that pre-course there, but now letting go and I can finally breathe. It's like, it's so ironic because, you know, as a, as a Christian um, and I'm just thankful for God's grace in my life and uh, him giving, you know, the lessons he's put in my life and, and that kind of thing. But just it's completely the opposite for us. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting go. I mean, you, you, where are you letting go to? Like, you know, and I guess that's just natural for, for believers to think, you know, definitely it, it wouldn't be breathing for the first time. It would just be utter chaos, and mm-hmm. it's just crazy. Like you said, you know he he'd been through a lot, and his and his mind kind of got messed up there. Uh, to to be able to get to the point to think, you know, I'm letting go of this. He wasn't letting go of the true God, you know, of of the Bible. Yeah. Like you said, he had to be letting go of the law or, or some kind of you know man made religion in his mind um, to be able to say, and now I can finally breathe. And I just thought about breathing in general. You know, it's, it's God who gives breath. So it's just so ironic that he, he's using his breath to say that he can finally breathe from letting go of what he thinks his religious beliefs were at the time. I see some, uh, some Lutheran satire creeping into my show, Doc. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, I had to find the episode that I was thinking of, but all this... Um, tried to hold the the ocean in my fists and and binding and bottling up the sea uh, stuff reminded me of the very excellent Lutheran satire uh, video Tyler the ex evangelical quit swimming and mm. uh, he literally is just like you know in the shallow end all this time and he completely ignores uh, the deep end you know and completely yeah. completely just is unsatisfied with with splashing around in the the shallow end and, you know, never really gets into it. And that's really what the song reminds me of. When I hear stuff like there was a time when I tried to hold the ocean in my fists and I bind and bottle up the sea and all this and woe is me. And I've had enough of black and white. It's like, Oh my word, dude. You know, first of all, Mm -hmm. you know, have you, it's pretty obvious that you never really swam out into those deeper waters. Um, Yeah. It's pretty obvious to me that there's just, there there was just little interest that there was something Mm -hmm. else that had gripped you 
and that you were interested in. And it didn't, eventually that idol let you down and you thought it was Christianity, but it wasn't. Um, But you're going to go ahead and say it was. And like at that point, it's like, I don't know, you know, how can you continue to, to, you know, how, how long can you continue to make a God of your own making uh, Mm -hmm. without realizing that it's going to let you down? Um, Yeah. And and I think that the, I think the line in his song that really helps you understand it the most is in verse two. I tried to hide my heart inside my head. Mm -hmm. It was, it was always in his head. It was Mm -hmm. never in his heart. He was trying to mentally process through it without actually taking the step into, into true faith. Yeah. It it reminds me at the same time of somebody critiquing uh, kind of like a, I've kind of heard it said right before that essentially like, why, why be so, so intellectual about Christianity? You know, shouldn't we just <laughs> feel it? Shouldn't, and, and a lot of the songs that we kind of talk about on the show and on uh, Sound of Worship really are ones, uh, well, not on Sound of Worship, the ones that we don't talk about on Sound of Worship, pardon <laughs> me, except on April Fool's Day. Right. <laughs> But are are so like that, right? That where where mm. it's more heart than head, and mm. uh, you know, it reminds me of something that uh, that uh, G.K. Chesterton might say that you've completely lost your head, you know, uh, at that point. Yeah. And what good's your heart at that point? Hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and I think of passages like. Um, like, don't be swept away by every wind of doctrine. Yes. Um, James 1. Yeah. Also, um, if I'm remembering, uh, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that particular passage doesn't talk about just being crazy in the spirit. It talks about, you know, the spirit being a strong force in your life, but always yeah. connected to the mind. Um and, you know, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, but also with all our, our mind and all of our strength. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's never one without the other. Um, you know, we are to be conformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's always, always a call to engage uh, mentally and to engage um, intellectually. Never at the expense, never at the expense of the spirit, one way or the other. Um, I've always, I've always kind of felt that if you pursue God with your mind, but reject your heart or your, or your body, then you will always lead to idolatry in the same way that if you, if you always, if you pursue with your spirit, but at the expense of your mind or your body, then it'll be idolatry. Um, Same with, if you follow with your body at the expense of your mind or your spirit, it'll always lead to idolatry. Uh, that's why we are given the Shema. That's why we are given the great commandment. It's it's all it takes everything. All right. So that was the gray by thrice. So now, Justin, if you don't mind reading the lyrics to Jesus, I have my doubts by John Foreman. Sure, sure. All right. So start with verse one. It says, Jesus, I'm sorry about last night. Jesus, we both know I tried. 
Jesus feels like the world's in pieces. I'm sure you've got your reasons, but I have my doubts. Jesus, I have my doubts. On to the chorus. When everything that's right feels wrong, and all of my belief feels gone, and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain goes on and on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? Verse 2. Jesus, what a week we've had. Jesus, has the world gone mad? Jesus, feels like the world's in pieces. I'm sure you've got your reasons, but I've got my doubts. Jesus, I've got my doubts. Jesus, I've got my doubts. And the bridge is, are you there? Can you hear me? Do you care? Are you near me? Because I'm scared and I'm weary. Are you there? Can you hear me? Are you there? Can you hear me? Do you care? Are you near me? Because I'm scared and I'm weary. Are you there? Then at the end it says, Can you reach me here in the silence? I have my doubts. And that is the end. Yeah, this song, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, first off, he rhymes his lyrics a lot better. Then, um, well, I, I felt like I was rapping there for a second, <laughs> like as close like as I've it, ever man. been. You were yeah, yeah. laying down a, a thick yeah, one. His, Is that what they say? I don't know. His his, his I, flows are pretty sounds good. good to me. His, his flows are pretty I, good. I totally made that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, first observation besides the the whole rappiness of it um, is. Uh, he talks about Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. He's including Jesus in this song. He he's going well out of his way to uh, to let us, the listeners, know that he is engaged in a conversation with Jesus. And from a meta perspective, what that is telling us is that he is still fully in belief that Jesus is there and that Jesus is listening. Um, you know, you get to the bridge and the bridge, it's very strong. It's very powerful. And the, the melody of it, it's like a staircase going up and he gets into some pretty high notes there at the end. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a conversation with Jesus and and, and I really do think that that makes so much of the difference between this song and the gray is that he, he is uh, he's proclaiming his belief that Jesus is there. He's answering his own questions. Jesus is there because he's, he's talking to him. Um, and I think that that is a very, very important piece of this particular song. Um, so getting into the verbatim uh, of the song, He's clearly he's had uh, he, what a week he's had. He's had a he's had a tough week. Uh, world's crazy. Uh, and last night, uh, something uh, John himself crosses some sort of line. He he talks about this song in the like the commentary he gives. He says, you know, sometimes I just have to go out and just have an argument with God and just go out onto, I've got this rock behind my house that I just go out and I yell at God. And he, he makes a point to say that he, uh, he takes comfort in knowing that God's existence doesn't depend on his uh, full belief and full understanding on God. So God is, is always, God is immutable and God will always be there and God will always uh, God doesn't change just because John's having a bad day. 
And, uh, and I think it's so powerful. Uh, it's such a powerful contrast that, um, you know, that if I'm, if I'm having my doubts, God doesn't just, it's not like the, the, the fairies from Peter Pan. If you say, I don't believe in fairies then a fairy is going to die. God doesn't die, God doesn't go away just because I say, Jesus, I have my doubts. God's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. Um, and so we, we see uh, that second line, Jesus, we both know I tried. It's another huge contrast where he had a, a moment where he was trying to take charge or he was trying to, to work through something and he failed because he's humid, but he knows that Jesus is still there. Um, and if any of us have ever had any sort of doubts in God's plan, which is probably every one of us, we can all relate to that. You know, Jesus, I'm sure you've got your reasons, but I have my doubts. Jesus, I have my doubts. Going into the chorus, I think this is really where we can see the, uh, the weakness of Sola Feels theology. When everything that's right feels wrong, and all of my belief feels gone, and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? He's not saying that everything that's right is wrong, or that all of my belief is gone. He's speaking truth and saying it just it feels like it's gone because our emotions are, are uh, they can change. Our, our emotions are not immutable. You know, our emotions are like the wind. And if and there are times where what's right feels wrong, but that doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it feel wrong. Uh, sometimes my belief feels gone. It doesn't mean it is gone. It means it feels gone. We can't trust our feelings, not the way we can trust in God. Um, and, you know, singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain goes on and on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? Um, these these words they're 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 tough. They're hard, but they're honest. They're they're raw. They're um, they're very emotional. But I think that what is important in this song is that he's still talking to Jesus. He doesn't go away. He doesn't say. Um, he he doesn't say. You know, I was trying to bind and bottle up the sea. I was trying to hide my heart inside my head. It's not, I have this realization all of a sudden that Jesus isn't there. He's still talking to Jesus. Even the last line, you know, can you reach me here in the silence? I have my doubts. Um, calling out for help. And as I mentioned before, the very next song on the album, you know, thanks be to God who delivers me. And that's so important. And he's such a good poet and that he can put those two songs back to back and to be able to have this raw, emotional, honest uh, lament followed by a song of praise. Uh, it just, it's, it's so good. It's just so good. Yeah. I mean, it, what stands out to me is just his honesty, um, you know, and not really hiding what he's thinking about. And it, it made me thought about, it made me think about the passage that's uh, in Mark nine towards the end um, where their father has his child who's been thrown into convulsions and foaming at the mouth. And um, I actually pulled up that passage for context because, you know, context is pretty cool. But uh, 
Jesus asked the father of that child, he said, how long has this been happening? And uh, I'm just kind of paraphrasing. And uh, it said it happens often. And sometimes it's thrown into the fire, into the water to destroy him. And uh, But if you can do anything, and the, the NASB, I'll just go ahead and say, says, uh, but if you can do anything, take pity, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believe. And then Mark 9, 24 says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And that that just kind of, you know, it's not an exact parallel, but it kind of made me think of that kind of honest, uh, you know, help my unbelief, you know, or help my doubts. Um, kind of saw some similarities in, in those. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a, uh... It's interesting you bring that up. Both John Foreman and Modern Post use that line in in some of their songs. Oh, nice. The yeah, John Foreman has a song called "The Mountain" from his second project, where it, it talks about that. And then um, Modern Post, I believe it was on "God Is Good." He, um, mm. he, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. It, that is such a strong passage of scripture. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Uh, right. Just the honesty that comes from that. Definitely can see the the similarities where John is writing, uh, you know, Jesus, I've got my doubts. Um, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot to write that. You're not going to hear that from a lot of artists. You're going to get, you know, just the best of the best. Um you know, or so, you're really me-centered songs like, you know, you call me out upon the waters and I'm just going to do all this awesome stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, John is being real honest there. Yeah. And uh, personal story, I have a song titled My Unbelief where I, I my chorus is, and all you ask of me is to repent and to believe. And I believe, Lord. Yes, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. And uh, mm-hmm. I sent that song into a for professional critique, like I paid a guy to look over that song and give me some critique and his response, like he had listed under his specialties of Christian music. So he, he was self-proclaimed expert in Christian music hired by a professional um, agency that, that critiques music. And uh, mm-hmm. he said, I don't, I don't really like that. I, I think you should say, I believe Lord, thank you for, for uh, for helping me with my unbelief, it's like, yeah, but that's I'm quoting scripture, like it's, right. It's, <laughs> I didn't come up with that on my own. That's that's straight out of the Bible, uh, and yeah. So so Nashville, like the actual songwriters in Nashville, won't touch that. Help my unbelief because it's it's just it doesn't feel good. So yeah, it won't sell. It won't sell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 both of these songs are very, very interesting songs. Um, they are, there's some really fantastic contrast with these songs. You can just look at the gray and you, and you just see that he's abandoned God. He doesn't mention Mm -hmm. God at all. He is treat, he is working really hard to sound super poetic and to, and to play the victim, like 
you know, I pulled against them till my body bled, you know, they choked me within inches of my life. You know, he is clearly playing up this victim card in this, in this song where, um, where he has, he's the one who's letting go, but now I'm letting go and I can finally breathe, but yet he's the victim. So he's abandoning God, Mm -hmm. yet he's the victim. And he's really playing that up in that song. Whereas Jesus, I have my doubts. It it opens up with an apology. Jesus, I'm sorry about last night. You know, Jesus, we both know that I tried. You know, Jesus, it feels like the world's in pieces. And I'm sure you've got your reasons, but I have my doubts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he's just being honest. Like, I, I trust you. I do. I trust you. I know you have your reasons. I have my doubts and he knows that he's done something wrong. He knows he's crossed a line and he's, you know, for the most part, he's repentant of it. You know, he, he's at least, um, he, he at least acknowledges that he's crossed some sort of line. And, you know, it's, there's this, this song just, it feels very like Saul model, it's scoring very high on the psalm model in that the psalms talk about that all the time. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? You know, we, mm-hmm. in the, you know, I just, Psalm 13, you know, just really, I, I see that here. And, uh, and I, I, I feel the difference between these two. If if this was all I had from Dustin Kendrew and John Foreman, I would have no question that John Foreman was regenerate and that Dustin Kendrew was not. Unfortunately, these aren't the only two songs I have. Or I guess fortunately, these aren't the only two songs I have. I I, I pray that Dustin is is regenerate and that he is going through a time of doubt that he will that God will save him from, or at least that God will save him from this rebellion. Um, mm. and, but you know, I look at this from John Foreman and, and this, it's just so raw and so honest. It, it just, it, I, I feel these same emotions, you know, this feels regenerate to me. I am not the judge. I'm not the Holy spirit. I can't, I don't know his heart. Uh, he did say that line about Jesus, about God being a girl. And that was a little bit, uh, unfortunate and hopefully, yeah, <laughs> hopefully he'll get some sense knocked into him. But you know, that's not, as I said, it's not a damnable heresy, um, to believe that letting go of religion and, and breathing on your own is salvific. That is damnable heresy. Um, mm-hmm. to believe that God is female is, gross heterodoxy but it is not damnable heresy so yeah like hopefully it gets that worked out too hopefully, but like yeah. like you said there's such there's there's some good huge contrast you know like you said i think the point you made about the victimhood um really that really does stand out to me too um it, it's completely in the opposite i mean you've got john who is writing like a christian would honestly and um you know, crying out to Jesus. I mean, this song says Jesus more times than, you know, probably Bethel's entire, I don't know, <laughs> their entire catalog the of music. Catalog. <laughs> right. I mean, he, he gets pretty close yeah. to beating Trimble. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see see what you mean there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, what it says, you know, what it says about Jesus as well. And, and it's subtle and it's in the, it's in between the lines, you know, but he, what he's saying about Jesus is that, you know, he's, he is, uh, an, he's an authority over John. You know, he's apologizing Jesus. I have my, I, I'm sorry about last night. Um, you know, he's, uh, his omnip his omniscience you know we both you we both know i tried you know jesus wouldn't know that he tried unless he could know all uh mm-hmm. you know and i'm sure you've got your reasons you know that's his sovereignty you know but i have my doubts and he's not painting his doubts as a good thing either he's not like you know, jesus I, kn- mm-hmm. I know that you think that you're right but you know you're really wrong uh he's not saying that he's saying I- i'm sure you've got your reasons but i have my doubts um and, you know, he's knowing that Jesus is in control, you know, has the world gone mad? You know, it feels like the world's in pieces. Um, you know, he's, he is trusting in God, but he does have his doubts. Uh, and, and I think, as I mentioned, the simple fact that he is talking to Jesus constantly, he never, he never is not talking to Jesus in this song. Uh, he answers his own questions. You know, you are there. You can hear me. You do care. You are near me. And though I'm scared and I'm weary, you are there. Uh, you know, you, we we can see that in between the lines. So what he is saying about Jesus is truth. The truth claims in this song line up with the truth of Scripture, whereas the truth claims in thrice are in direct opposition to the Scripture. I um. Wish I had more to say about that. I really don't. I think you guys nailed it on the head. Uh, the only thing I might add too is just uh, realizing where this comes on the album right before the song "Thanks Be to God," which you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where the chorus uh, repeats "Thanks be to God who delivers me, uh, Christ, Christ alone, come and set me free." Uh, Thanks be to mm-hmm. God who delivers me. So he, you know. He uh, starts out in this this time of doubt where he's just like, I don't know, God. But then, you know, it kind of takes a turn here and uh, is mm-hmm. more about like, thanks be to God who delivers me. He realizes where his deliverance comes from. He realizes where his strength is, um, uh, I believe. Yeah. And then uh, has that song come out. Yeah, and... Uh- when this song first came out, when Jesus had my doubts, uh, John Foreman, he, he released three songs at first. And uh, this was one of them. So the first three songs he released, this one, it was one called Red and Gold, which is literally about, um, about commuting home, or at least watching people commute home. Red and gold is the color of the headlights and taillights. Um, mm. And it's about like sojourning. And I think the other one was maybe side by side, uh, which is, it's a very interesting song. Um, the last line in it is even when we're, we will, we will all be buried side by side um, in the in a graveyard, but uh, it's a very interesting song. It's actually a love song, but that's how it ends. Um, 
And so this song uh, didn't have the full context. And the album is called Departures. And it's at a time where, mm. where Christians are leaving the faith by the droves. And it was, I remember Grant and I had a conversation about it. We're like, is John Foreman deconstructing? Like, what is going on here? And then I just, I really just, I, I read through the lyrics. I listened to the song over and over again, and I felt very comforted uh, by it. And so, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was interesting. Uh, the album cover, it's like his face with his, with like a white bar over his eyes where you can't see his eyes. It, it, it looks really, uh, ominous, but, uh, it's, it's about, it's about leaving 2020 behind and departing from 2020. Um, mm. which I think we can all agree is a good thing. Uh, so we have, we have talked for a while about Dustin Kinsrew and John Foreman. Uh, do you guys have any, uh, any final thoughts about anything that we have talked about? Um, about these songs, about their stories, uh, before we wrap it up? I, I think more than anything, thinking about deconstruction stories in general, we've talked about a few of them before. And mm-hmm. sadly, I don't think we've had our last episode about one, but you never know. Hopefully. Never know. It, it, it draws me to think about like, we should be continually examining ourselves. What is it that I truly do believe? And am I uh, going uh, to God with those doubts or am I going to myself with those doubts? Am I forming a God out of my own making or am I worshiping the one true God who has revealed himself in scripture? Uh, And I think, I don't know, I just encourage all of us to examine ourselves, take stock. Uh, are uh, Are we committed to... Um, this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, like one of the things you mentioned, you know, you making God in our own image. The problem with that is any God that we create, uh, you know, God's never going to measure up to that. Like God, mm-hmm. first of all, God is the standard of perfection. But any God that we create, we are setting that God up to fail because that God can't do anything. So, uh, you know, we've, we talked about, you know, the song reckless love, uh, you know, God is not reckless. And so when we see God as being reckless, you know, that God, that God can't do what my God can do. You know, that God, uh, you know, that, that God is never going to follow through with the promises that we give that God, you know, same, uh, we also talked about, you know, I remember when, um, the little girl died at, at Bethel and they oh, prayed over her yeah. for, for a week trying mm-hmm. to raise her from the dead. You know, they weren't praying in faith that God could raise her from the dead. They were praying in with authority that God had already risen her from the dead, which is, which is putting promises in God's mouth that he never gave. They were setting God up to fail. And, uh, and when to you fail, set God up to eyes, fail, um, God, right, God did not yeah. fail. To be clear. Yeah, God did not fail, to be clear. But they were setting their God up to fail, and their God failed. And and so when you create a God in your own image, that God will always fail. And so you will always be burned by that God. You will always uh, 
be devastated by that God because that God is not actually God. Yeah, and we should be thankful. I mean, uh, that God tears down those idols. We should pray that God tears down those idols um, yeah. for us, uh, for our good, and does not allow them to sit set in and fester um, and, and allow us to be taken by them. We, we you know that that's a that's one of God's graces to us is that our idols do fail us, uh, which drives us to Him rather than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just going off of all of what you guys have just said, just it makes you thankful that God is sovereign. Um, it, it flies in the face of process theology, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't rest on us and that he is gracious to convict us and make us turn from sin. Uh, you know, some of the darkest times of my life looking back were when, you know, I would claim to be a Christian uh, in my younger days, not even sure if I actually was at that time, uh, but then go and and not live like one. Um, so very thankful for God's sovereignty and convicting me um, of that many, well, many years ago now. Uh, just so thankful for his sovereignty and he deserves all the glory for convicting us and um, so glad that he's in control. He's not a God that can fail. Uh, his his purpose will stand. Yeah. Thanks be to God who delivers me. Yeah. Absolutely. Our one true mediator, uh, which yeah. is, if you're wondering more about what that is, uh, check out chapter eight of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, talks all about it. Also in the Heidelberg Catechism, there's some great information there about how Christ is our mediator uh, how he does make it possible for us to know him, uh, to know God, and uh, to be accepted by God. Uh, but it's only through uh, the mediator of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. So as we close out this episode, a mere 28 minutes from the Lord's Day, Eastern Standard Time, <laughs> uh, I will just, I'll just close by saying, Come, you disconsolate, where'er you languish. Come to his mercy seat, fervently kneel. Here, bring your wounded hearts. Here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded for listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at there is 
at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback, so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.